I would like you uh, to turn with me uh, in your Bible uh, to uh, the book of Acts and chapter 9. And we're going to read... Um, yeah, we're not going to read it just yet. We're going to we're going to be considering verse twenty six. If you find verse twenty six in Acts chapter twenty chapter nine, uh, you'll find roughly where we're going to be. But we're also going to be looking at chapter eleven. Uh, so uh, don't be putting the uh, bulldog clip in too tightly um, on your Bible tonight. We'll be looking at chapter eleven. We'll also be looking later on in chapter thirteen uh, as well. Uh, we've been uh, looking uh, from last week uh, at Paul's ministry uh, mates, his associates in gospel work. Uh, last week uh, we were looking at Silas, and um, tonight uh, we're going to be looking at another of Paul's uh, associates. Let me just pray with God's word open before us. Let's do that. These are your words, Father. These are the words of your Son. These are the words of your spirit, and we understand the weight of that. We understand the importance of that. We understand the authority that comes from the words of the one who made all things, the one who created the very ground in which we stand and the very air which we breathe, and our bodies, each and every one of us, knit together in our mother's womb. And we ask you to help us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the wills to submit to what you're saying to us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, no man is an island, uh, no woman is an island either, and no man in ministry uh, is an island for sure. Uh, that's true. Everyone that plays a part in the whole, uh, we're looking at Paul's ministry colleagues uh, these uh, evenings, his companions and friends uh, in the gospel work. Uh, and that reminds us, doesn't it, of language like the body of believers in the New Testament, language like the communion of the saints. Uh, there, there's no sort of one-man um, heroes. There's, there, there's, there's a we about uh, the gospel when it comes to uh, God's work. We have um, two new baby boys, as far as medical science has been able to tell us, uh, due in our church family. And they, of course, when they arrive, God willing, uh, will need to be named. And uh, we have some great uh, men, Bible men, on our list of Paul's friends. And uh, maybe that may give them some help or some inspiration. I don't know. Maybe their minds are already made up. Um, who can say? Um, when our third child, uh, Lottie, was born, uh, we didn't know uh, that she was a girl until she arrived. Um, but had she been um, a male child, tonight's character at times was prominent on our list of names. So there's a little interesting side comment for you. His name is Barnabas. Uh, John Piper uh, has a son called Barnabas. Uh, he's a good, solid Baptist pastor. Um, uh, Barnabas uh, first appears in Acts chapter 4, uh, but he is mentioned uh, 30 times in four New Testament books. Um, however, uh, his story, uh, like most of Paul's friends, is, is mostly told in Acts, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. First of all, I want to say to you that Barnabas was a, a generous man. Uh, we read here in Acts chapter 4, the verse that was just on the screen, Thus Joseph, uh, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, 
a Levite, uh, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. His uh, real name, uh, Barnabas, was Joseph, uh, but the apostles give him the name Barnabas, which means uh, son of encouragement, as we just read, which surely tells us lots, doesn't it, about the man, a real encouragement. Uh, His mother didn't call him that, um, but she called him Joseph, but he got the name Barnabas as a nickname. Uh, a nickname that related to his character and what he was like. Uh, you know those people um, that are just a, a joy to be around. Uh, they're warm and they pour into others. Uh, that, was, that was Barnabas. Uh, he was generous with his words uh, about people. He was generous with his time with people. Uh, he, was, he was a Levite. We just read that that's the priestly tribe in Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, and one of them was set aside for priestly service. That was the tribe of Levi. Uh, Those who are Levites that are descended from Aaron, they could be priests. But there are others like Barnabas who are just referred to as Levites because they're bog-standard Levites. They're the, the, the kind of regular, common Levites. And they were also involved in the Jewish ministry of the temple. Uh, so it's a, it's a good name for a pastor's son. There you are, uh, Barnabas. Uh, we're also told that Barnabas is from, from Cyprus, a uh, lovely Mediterranean island. Uh, there you go. You can drift off now, can't you, very easily right there. You're on the beach. Um, uh, uh, enjoying the sun uh, this summer, but you'll probably have to make do with uh, Torella or Ballyhome or something. But, but that's where Barnabas was from. Uh, but those are just background details. Uh, the chief point that Luke, uh, the author of Acts, is trying to get across in this verse is his generosity with money. We are in among some of those uh, other verses here in Acts chapter 9, explaining how in the early church there was a lot of financial one anothering going on. They were looking for those who had need. They were sharing with those who had need. Those who had plenty brought it to those that had less, and they, none of them had any lack. And in that setting, um, and at that time, Barnabas takes a field that he owns and sells it and gives the apostles uh, the money to fund gospel work. He's a generous man. God impacted his life in such a way that he impacted his wallet. Uh, his wallet acts in line with his heart, and, and, and our hearts always do. And God produces a generous man. Secondly, I want you to notice that Barnabas is a middleman. A middleman. In Acts chapter 9 that we just read, uh, that we just uh, have turned to, sorry, uh, in front of us, uh, Saul of Tarsus has just been made, uh, has just made one of the greatest U-turns in Scripture. He's seen the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. So he's had that vision of the risen Lord. And, and he's went uh, from enemy of the Christians to uh, the greatest friend of the Christians. One of them, in fact. And um, with such a change so fast... The other Christians, well, they aren't really sure if it's true and not a trap and that Saul isn't, isn't a spy. So Saul doesn't have a friend in the world. But enter Barnabas. Listen to Acts 9 verse 26. It's on the screen there. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he, that Saul, attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas 
took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. It's Barnabas, isn't it, who sort of takes the risk, who, 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 looks, at the, who looks at the evidence, uh, who, who believes all things from Saul, uh, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's, that's words that Saul or Paul, as, as he would be later known as, would write in 1 Corinthians. It's Barnabas who believes him. It's Barnabas who comes alongside Paul and brings him to the disciples, who says, guys, listen, He's seen the Lord. He, he spoke to the Lord. He's preached boldly about the Lord in, in Damascus. He's a brother. Trust me. Trust me. He's the, he's the middleman between the disciples and, and Saul, otherwise known as Paul. That's Barnabas. He, he, he's, a, he's a man who encourages uh, two opposing factions to reconcile, isn't he? And he encourages them to accept Saul, which they do, and then Barnabas becomes part of the Jerusalem church, a very important church in the book of Acts, the same church where Silas was part of uh, last week, uh, which leads us back, doesn't it, to that uh, big issue right going on in the middle of Acts where, where, um, where there's the, the, the issue of the Gentiles. And what are we going to do with the Gentiles who seem to be professing faith? See, the, the church has spread out after the persecution of Stephen. He was stoned to death in Acts uh, 8. Uh, some of them come to, to Antioch up north, uh, and there are a few sort of radicals among them uh, in a good way. Uh, they're from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they begin to tell these Greek speakers in Antioch, Gentiles, about the gospel of salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ. And some of them profess faith. And Acts 11, if you want to turn forward a couple of pages, verse 21 says, A great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 11, verse 21, a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And this, this news travels down to Jerusalem, which is 200 miles south, and, and it sort of causes them a bit of consternation. Christianity began, of course, as a, as a Jewish movement, and, and many traditional-minded Jews then assumed that all the converts needed to obey the Jewish laws, like uh, circumcision and kosher food and things like that. And, and so Barnabas, the troubleshooter, well, he's, he's dispatched. He's sent off uh, the middleman again, and we read it on the screen, the, the, the report of this, verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, that's not around the corner. Antioch is 200 miles away. It's, it's 15 days uh, on foot, okay? Uh, and Barnabas, he takes on the challenge here, clearly, and, and we read this in the next verse. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Antioch, And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Lots to commend Barnabas for here, isn't there? He was a good man, the Bible says. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. He was, uh, 
he, he was a man of faith, the Bible says. What a strong example Barnabas was to others. And look how God's using the faithful man to, to, to grow his, his, his church. A great many people were added to the Lord, it says. Barnabas didn't get in the way of God. He taught the Antioch church. He led the church. And then as it grows, he looks for an assistant. And he goes to look for Saul, we just read. Uh, the spy who came in from the cold. He goes west around the coast uh, towards Tarsus. That's kind of like in the bottom right-hand corner of, of Turkey, as you and I would know it. Uh, and he brings Saul back to Antioch, where they become partners for a year, teaching uh, the, the church, uh, preaching and teaching the church there. And a church made up not just of Jews now, of course, but for the first time, Jews and Gentiles. And I'm quite sure... They had many challenges that year, and we've had many challenges this year. Uh, and, and Barnabas, Barnabas's God-given gift for reconciling those at odds with each other, well, I imagine that came in quite useful more than once, because you've got these Gentiles, and you've got these Jews, and they're thrust together, they're brothers and sisters in the Lord, they're breaking bread together, they're, you see, Barnabas is needed. Last week, Paul chose Silas. But do notice that Barnabas chose Paul this week. You see that? Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for, for Saul. That's Paul. You, you think it's Paul and Barnabas, but he chose him, if you understand the way the Bible states it. Uh, he, he actually went and looked for Saul and brought him back to Antioch. And Paul helps initially at Antioch. And, and Barnabas, he really is the man in the middle who brings people together. And that's a lovely trait, isn't it? To bring people together, to be a real encouragement is very much a Christ-like thing, isn't it? Something you want, to be, you want to be doing. You want to learn from those who can. You want to put away that, whatever that other thing is that, that we would do instead and, and bring people together and encourage those relationships. Thirdly, I want you to notice that Barnabas is a set-apart man. After a year, as we mentioned, in Antioch, the church are worshipping the Lord and they're fasting. And one day, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so the church obey. They, I'm sure, are more than a little reticent about sending off their best men, both of them, right? But, but that's what God requires. And so given that they know this is what he requires, that is what they must do. Paul and Barnabas are set apart for a special mission. A two-year, this time, church planting, evangelism uh, trip, uh, something new, something that's never been attempted before, something bold. It's known as Paul's first missionary journey. But don't discount Barnabas, because he, of course, chose Paul, remember? Uh, he's got some rule of significance, absolutely. Paul and Barnabas, they set sail with John Mark as their helper, and their first stop was Cyprus. Because that's Barnabas' home, isn't it? 
he's back home. Um, in Acts 13, they, it was recorded for us um, that, that they stop in a place called Salamis in Cyprus and they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. You see, we said it this morning, didn't we? It's about proclamation. It's a preached word and so they preached that was, their, that was their method, that was their tactic. Find a synagogue, preach Jesus there as the real Jewish faith, as a proper sort of the Messiah has come Judaism, which is what Christianity is. It's a proper understood, fully developed Jewish faith. He's the Messiah. But there was more than a little opposition. And they traveled through the whole island. They came to Paphos, and that's the capital now, um, uh, where they, they ran into a Jewish sorcerer um, called Bar, sorry, and a false prophet called Bar Jesus, uh, who, who was a, an attendant to the governor or proconsul. And Paul and Barnabas were summoned then by the governor because they, he wanted to hear more about Jesus. But when they arrived, the, the false prophet uh, sought to try and turn uh, the governor away from the truth. But the Holy Spirit came upon Paul and he, he rebuked the man and caused him to be blind. And it was because of this that the governor saw the power of God and he was converted. And after they left Cyprus, as we can see on the map, they made their way um, sort of uh, northwest towards Perga. And when they reached Perga, uh, John Mark leaves them to go back home to Jerusalem. More about that soon, more about that in weeks to come as well. Uh, Paul and Barney, as we'll call them, then went from there to Pisidian Antioch, which is another Antioch on the screen. There's two Antiochs. There's one real, close to the middle, near where it says Asia, and there's one uh, north of Jerusalem on the right-hand side above Syria. So Pisidian Antioch is another Antioch and here they again use the same method of going to the synagogue and, and many people receive them and they like what they hear and they urge them to continue on and they begin to follow them around because they want to learn more about this gospel. Almost the whole town comes out to hear the word of God. We read in Acts 13 verse 44. Almost the whole time. Amazing verse. But the Jews in the city, they get jealous. There's persecution breaks out this time. They, Paul and Barnabas then move on to a place called Iconium. And they taught again in the synagogue. And a great number of Jews and Gentiles are converted. But again, there's trouble. The Jews are stirred up. They're not having any of this. And they plot to kill Paul and Barnabas. And they move on then to towns of Lystra and Derbe. They then return, uh, if you see on the map, back through many of the towns that they traveled through in the first place uh, towards the sea uh, at uh, Italia. And then they sail back to their home church in Antioch. That's Paul's first missionary journey. And when they arrive at Antioch, well, they call the church together and they give a missionary report as we would understand it. And they report everything that God had done uh, through them and how he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I quote the scriptures. He'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, a set-apart missionary, a sent missionary by the church. There's lots, there's lots to understand here about how, to, how missionaries should be sent and, and cared for by their church and, and responsible to their local church and all sorts of things that we could look at. But, but the point is that he was sent out by the Antioch church as a missionary and church planter for those two years. Uh, fourthly, Barnabas is the man left behind. 
The Jerusalem Council then happens. That's when they decide that they're going to accept these Gentile believers uh, as fully-fledged Christians, uh, not in small part to do with what Paul and Barnabas have reported as to what's been happening on their journey. But after the landmark decision, there's trouble ahead between the gospel partners. Let's turn to Acts 15 for a moment and verse 36. Acts 15, verse 36. And there we read this. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with with not to take him with them. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Interesting, this section, isn't it? We've got um, Paul and Barnabas having a sharp disagreement. That's how Luke describes it, a sharp disagreement. Paul is about to go on his second missionary trip. Barnabas wants to go. He wants to take John Mark again with them, but Paul doesn't want to. He decides that John Mark, having left early, as he saw it, to return to Jerusalem, Halfway through the trip, well, he sees that as a bit of a failure on his part. He's not reliable enough. He, he pulls out of stuff. That's, 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 that's what he's thinking about, isn't it? And let's think about it from Barnabas' perspective. He, he wants to take John Mark with him, but, but maybe, maybe he's just thinking along family lines. Because in, in Colossians 4, we read that John Mark was Barnabas' cousin. Should, um, should John Mark be given another chance well, we weren't there. It's hard to know the answer, isn't it? Uh, but, but here's the question for me. How can you fall out with the son of encouragement? It almost seems like a, dis- a kind of contradiction in terms, doesn't it? How do you fall out with the son of encouragement? But rather than speculate about things that we don't know about, I think it's best to remember that, yes, the best of men are men at best, and it's possible to have a disagreement, even in uh, the fully-fledged throughs of the second missionary journey, right? But also, do you remember last week that when Silas takes up the empty seat, he ends up with Paul in the jail cell, and they are able to appeal to Rome because they're both Roman citizens. Barnabas is not a Roman citizen. So that actually works in God's providence. Uh, God used the disagreement providentially, in other words. Indeed, he uses all of the circumstances of life and ministry and personality, uh, traits and family preference and disagreement to bring about his gospel never failing purposes. You do realize that? That's what the story of Acts is. He's, he's, he's working his purposes. In his um, subsequent Ministry, we read there that Barnabas went back to Cyprus. 
back home. He takes Mark with him. Uh, that's John Mark. Incidentally, he's the author of Mark's Gospel, uh, but more about that in time. Uh, and, and from there we have, well, we don't have scripture. We have some traditions about what happened to Barnabas after that, which I'll, I'll tell you that way because that's what you need to know. It may not be reliable, but there are some stories that he ended up as Bishop of Milan and preached in Alexandria and Rome. And while in Rome, he said to have been there when Clement was converted, who became the fourth Bishop of Rome. And another tradition was that he was martyred in his homeland of Cyprus. But whatever, whatever Barnabas did later, well, he and Paul... Well, they seem to have mended things in their relationship because we do hear him mentioned uh, later. And uh, in Paul, when Paul's imprisoned, um, he speaks about Barnabas warmly in Colossians 4. And also in a verse I'm just about to read to you, he counts Barnabas as, well, he equates him with himself in terms of being a minister of the gospel again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And here's what we read in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 4, 5, and 6. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Paul's kind of saying, Barnabas and me are on, on the same page about this. And you're treating us differently from the other guys, and we've, we should be able to work for a living to refrain from working for a living and do gospel work. Barnabas is, is generous. He is one who is described in scripture as the son of encouragement. He, he's a middleman, isn't he? he? He brings people together. He's one who's described as a good man, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, a man of faith. You, will, you would love to have any of those on your, on your gravestone, wouldn't you? Recorded in scripture is even better. But don't, don't raise him up too far. Now that's the reality, isn't it, of him and Paul having a disagreement that's described as sharp. Don't raise him up to be a, a God figure now. Because when the people of Dar Derby, where the Galatian church was planted, when they heard Paul and Barnabas, they actually mistook them for God's. We read that, that Paul heals at this crippled man, the city erupts, and they claim that Barnabas was Zeus and Paul was Hermes. Now, they don't deliver your parcels. That's a Greek god, okay? Paul was Hermes and Barnabas was Zeus. That's actually the root of the word, actually, but we'll talk about that another day. Uh, Hermes has got to do with, with, uh, deliver, with um, bringing something. You know, it, we'll not go into that. But th th this, this, this actual situation where they're considered to be gods distresses Barnabas and Paul. Uh, they, they're very distressed by it. And they come straight out to, to, to preach, to set the record straight. We're, I'm, I'm not a god. We're not gods. We're, and Barnabas is no god. He's just a man. A gift to the church, yes. A gift to the churches, even. You could put it like that. A man with a God-given gift of generosity and encouragement and preaching. But nothing without God. Nothing. I wonder what your gift is to the church, to this church. You have one, I assure you. I wonder what it is. Uh, Barnabas, um, he makes mistakes. 
And in Galatians 2, we read about another one uh, where Paul is rebuking Peter about um, Peter decides to eat publicly with the Gentile believers one minute and then whenever some other people are watching on, he decides to not eat with the Gentile believers. And it's kind of like, a, yeah, he, he's, not being, he's being disingenuous and Paul rebukes him for it. And we read that Barnabas was implicated in this too. And it says this, Galatians 2, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, Peter, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Do you hear the the kind of compliment in there? Even Barnabas. In other words, he's the last guy you would expect to be, because he's such a good guy. But even Barnabas has been led astray by this kind of people-pleasing exercise that's going on in Galatians chapter 2. Even Barnabas is led astray by the subtlety of people pleasing traditional Jews. No, Barnabas is not without sin. And no, Barnabas is not without the old man, the old nature that God has to go to work on. No, there's only one. There's only one perfect man, isn't there? And his name, his name is not Barnabas. We can see plenty to emulate in Paul's missionary accomplish, accomplice. But he's not the real example of your New Testament. Barnabas was generous, but, but Jesus, Jesus was the chief giver. He's the shepherd who, who lays down his life for his sheep. The one who gave his all to save us. Barnabas was a, was a middleman, a, a reconciler, one who brings these opposing parties together. But, but Jesus, of course, is the, is the real reconciler because you don't get any more opposed than God and sinful humanity. And he brings them, well, he's the middleman, isn't he? The one who reconciles men and women, boys and girls to God. Barnabas was, was set apart, wasn't he? He was, uh, he was sent for this special one-off pioneer uh, mission of the greatest significance. But there's a greater one, a greater mission, one sent from heaven, uh, one sent uh, to do uh, work on a cross that, that only he could do, the pioneer of pioneers, the last word on sacrifice for sin. Barnabas was known as an encourager. That was the name he was given. That's what he's known for. That's what we think about when we think about Barnabas, I think. Um, He's the one who sort of draws alongside Paul. But who's the one who sends one to draw alongside Christians? Well, it's Jesus who sends the spirit of Jesus as it's called in Acts. He's the one who comes alongside. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit, but Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. He is the real hero of your New Testament. And we raise him up. And we want to raise him up and say, he's your example. He alone can rescue. He alone can save He alone can lift us from the grave. That's the one we promote. This is not the church of Barnabas. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is he is the saviour and the perfect man. Let's um, bow our heads together as the musicians join me.